Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Welcome to Growing Up Fire. Got Patrick McConnell and Ryan Coots here with me tonight. We're in Lesser Slave Regional Fire Service in Slave Lake, hall number one. Uh, borrowed a spot here, the war room. We're just going to get down to it. Let's have a crack them here, boys, and uh, have a little chat. Cheers to the boys. Cheers. All right. Good to have you guys here. I actually can't believe that I uh, got two of my all-time favorite firefighters with me in the same place chatting it up tonight. So, Ryan, you've been on the show before. You know what it's all about. Patrick, uh, thanks for coming. I know you're uh, probably not in love with this, but that's okay. <laughs> Everyone will know that you're not in love with that. So we'll start with you, Patrick. When did you know you want to be a fireman? Let's start with the good stuff. Oh, it's cheesy, man. I remember growing up in old small town Smith there, I guess, where you got a place. Metropolis. Yeah, booming Metropolis there. You go past the cost, go up by the Walmart, they got the fire station over there. So <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, play school, kindergarten, something like that. We went down, toured the fire hall, pretty typical story. Saw the big green truck in there and thought, shit, that's pretty cool. And kind of just stuck with me ever since. And then I, uh, I don't know, started playing hockey lots and stuff like that. My hockey coach actually convinced me to come down and just come to a few practices when I was pretty young. So Try it all out. So, yeah, so you and Ryan kind of have that in common. You're, you know, hockey maybe drew you a little bit to it, and then you're both uh, junior firefighters, right? You and Smith, Ryan and Slave and Widewater. Do you think that that, you know, like, so when we're talking about junior firefighters, do you think that that program helped kind of slingshot? Was that what got you, or was it something else? Oh, 100%. I mean, I had no idea what it was. Just... Signed up, joined up, went to a few deals and whatever. Just kind of carried on with it. I kind of dropped out of it in high school just to play hockey and be a high school kid, I guess. But that's kind of when I was trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with my life. And at that point, I kind of just got drawn back to it. So when I was done high school, I went back to it pretty much all the time and just stuck it out that way. Ryan, same story for you, right? We talked about this before, junior firefighter time. Yeah, I think it's a really good opportunity to get to see what kind of a team you can be part of and stuff from a young age. And I think it has a good uh, influence and gives you some perspective as a young kid for lots of kids who join programs like that. So, No, for sure. It, you know, for me, it, it's really, you guys, it's an honor to have you here, right? Obviously, we've been through a lot of mud today, a lot of blood where, uh, you know, we'll go through all that today and, and talk about it. But, you know, one of the saddest days for me is when we weren't all working together anymore. So it's fun to be back together. We're all in the same room. You know, both of you guys up through the ranks, right? I guess, you know, in a way, Patrick, you kind of led the way on the Fire Smart crew and Ryan's right behind you following along. You know, different career path, but uh, kind of starting to end up in the same sort of direction. It's cool to me, last few days, spending time with you guys, talking about, uh, you know, Patrick, your new career, Ryan, what's going on here, and and, uh, being back in the fire hall, kind of doing some work, right? So it's been fun, you know, he crews up through the ranks, uh, junior firefighter, firefighter, you know, kind of get to be a senior person, jump on the fire smart crew and, and start to move up. So, so good stuff for you though, Patrick, you, you did another kind of fire job for a while. So let's talk a little bit about that. The, your short uh, industrial firefighter career. Yeah. So I guess kind of for anyone who doesn't know, got out of high school, went and worked in a mill for a couple of years just to save up money for fire school. Did fire school and then I uh, was fortunate enough, a uh, buddy of mine uh, knew a guy who worked for an industrial firefighting outfit in uh, northern Alberta, so I just did that for, well, not even quite a winter, but that was after the slave fire that I was a part of as well, and uh, you're the guy who 
So I'd keep your phone on you and wait for a phone call. There might be an opportunity. So yeah, sucker. Uh, in the meantime, I went and worked in the in the oil patch there for it was only a few short months and just did standby industrial firefighting and kind of got to see that part of the world and yeah it's all the different kinds hey eh? like you know and uh, some industrial firefighting for you i did a little in my day too wildland stuff we're going to come up on here obviously structural firefighting all these different kinds and as you grow up everyone kind of has these stories about how they got interested how they got into it uh for us i would say that our paths you know even though ryan and i are, are related our paths were destined to collide 2011 so may let's Take it back a day, May 14th, 2011, the night before the big fire. Uh, Patrick, you're a Smith, <laughs> what, junior? No, graduated, so you're a Smith yep. firefighter, yep. Uh, full-on firefighter. Ryan is a, a junior firefighter and a student for us, like a rap student. I'm the fire chief, only been the fire chief for about a year, right? So still don't really know the role and everything that's going on. And so the day leading up to it, Right. So on the Saturday, I'm on a day off. I'm kind of hanging around the house. Got the honey do list. Honey do list says, you know, fix the barbecue. Okay. Go do that. Get the parts. People start calling. Things start happening. Right. We start calling in. So when did you kind of hear what was going on in Slave Lake? Well, I heard about it with some, from some people that I worked with. I think I was working in the mill at the time. And they kind of let me know there's a big fire happening, but I hadn't been, we didn't get paged out or nothing for it yet. But yeah, I don't know. I used to hang out with my one buddy there and out in Hondu, and we'd had a few drinks the night before, and so the next morning we were rolling into the old uh, Needful Things restaurant to have a drink, or sorry, have a drink, um, to uh, have a bite to eat, and I just touched the door handle and my phone went off, and it was uh, my captain at the time, Fred Law, he phoned me and said, you better get down to the hall because we got some work for us, so yeah, that was kind of what we were doing. Miss another meal, eh? Story of our lives. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So that night, right, you come into town, we're uh, out in, I guess, Mitsu. Yeah. All right. And uh, we're kind of cruising through there. Ryan, by then, you'd already kind of helped out. The one fire uh, west of town had blown up, another fire east of town. We covered that in a previous show where Ryan and I got to ride out there. And so now, like, I can remember it clear as day. It's nighttime. So you've got the darkness. You've got the eerie glow of the fire. you got the sparks all over the place, almost like stars in the bush. And we're going around house to house, right? So, Patrick, let's just start with you. What's some cool stuff you saw that night? What's some stuff sticks out in your mind? Well, I'd been on a few wildfires before. Not many, a couple. Chisholm always seemed to burn once a year, so we were down there years past. So that would have been my only previous experience. But I don't know. The coolest thing I think I saw on that first day, because we were just in the Mitsu area, was, uh, well, when we got there right away, the deputy chief at the time told us to go into a yard and see what we could do. And by that time... I don't know, it's kind of weird. We went up to see if we could throw a garden hose on the roof or whatever, and we got 10 steps away from the truck, and a driver was yelling at us to come back to the truck and hurry up, and we had no idea what was going on. Turned around and could see the crown fire kind of coming through the bush, so we bailed out of there. That was kind of interesting enough, but the coolest thing I saw was we were parked on the road kind of staged when it crossed the road just behind us, and there was that's when... Those two boys got that bush truck stuck in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jared Cedar. Yeah, so <laughs> that all happened all at once. They got that truck stuck in a septic field in the yard right across the road. Fire was crossing the road towards them. They were trying to get a tow strap in there to get it out, but they had to bail. But the cool part was that fire hit the power lines, and I'd never seen that before. And that's it basically shorted out the power lines, did the three big bangs. But the fire was like 20 feet, maybe 15, 20 feet away from the power lines, and you could see the big blue street coming off the power lines and then the second it would touch the flames it would 
like a shotgun blast the three times and then the power was out i guess after that so that was kind of crazy at that point and that's kind of when we backed out of there and got a, got the hell out of the way until we could go in behind it so took off from the scene of the crime so you didn't see the truck burn to the ground i watched it burn to the ground we <laughs> saw it we were just down the road a ways and we could see the rotators going as it was burning still yeah watched yeah, the whole thing uh, yeah. i'll always remember that truck right it's just like some such a vivid memory when jared cedar were handing out assignments and later that night and and i'm like okay jared you you know you take unit two and go do this and he's like chief i'm like hey man we're handing out assignments like just yeah you know shut up and wait till the end for questions and you know, okay, so take unit uh, two and go and chief. Jared, what? Well, that truck burned down. Okay, well, then go get a pickup from the town yard, put a tank in it, get a pump. And like, we never really even skipped a beat. So many yeah. things were going on that it was just like, yeah, but didn't let's you, do it. Weren't you like unaware that it had burned for a day? I had no idea until that exact time when he was telling me. Right? It was like a few days later. No, it was like, it was. so I think it burned down like six or seven, and by 11 o'clock at night, oh, okay. the first time I found out. Yeah. And it's just like, well, whatever, dude. Like, let's move on right yeah. and then he, he was hitting me up hey my cell phone was in there could a guy get a new cell phone <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah sure super important right but uh yeah so that was cool so you saw that how about you ryan did you, what do you remember from being out there for the evacuation and- i think probably uh right before i left to go back to slave lake we saw the one i think your guys's crew was there too that one house the the whole back of it was on fire but the front looked it was almost like a prop house it was right on the main road, and uh, I remember it was pretty much like it was like a really weird fire. It was so wind driven that it was there's pieces of it burning, but it wasn't like a fully involved by any means. And we walked or pulled into the front yard, and we were just getting ready a crew of us to go back to Slave Lake, and the whole front of the house looked like pretty much fine. And when you walked around the side of the house, the whole back was just like on fire and burnt away, like to the point where some of the pieces of walls were like completely gone. And it literally reminded, or I guess I never saw one at that point, but what you would think of like a prop house on a movie, right? Like you're using the front yard Uh and and then in the back, there would just be like sticks holding up the front of it kind of. And that's what it reminded me of, which was pretty, so pretty cool. Kind of creaked in from the back and wind driven, right? So it didn't uh, burn the whole thing down, just kind of ate it away from the inside yeah. i remember that house for sure it's crazy so all through the night i mean i, I can remember we had some new guys uh, paul clark mark feetsma i think they were pretty new on the fire department like they didn't know what to think right imagine you're in your first couple of weeks right and you're just rolling into this massive fire i mean ryan you were 15 patrick you'd have been what i think i was 19 at the time 19 or just so before i don't know just kids hey you know yeah. trying to, to figure <laughs> this stuff out do what you're told into the next day then so i mean in true fashion the next morning we all get together we have a bunch of food because that's what firefighters do and we start handing out uh jobs so where where were you going were you back from smith yet by then or no so well we were we hung out in mitsu for most of the morning and i think around 11 or so or 10 or 11 we got sent home i think so it went down and then i think as things progressed we basically made it back to the hall. They said, okay, go home, try and get some rest. You might have to come back later. And uh, it was less than an hour later, they were calling for more help again. And that's when Flatbush was kicking up. So we had to go south to Flatbush. Oh, along the highway, yeah. That's yeah. Great. So we were headed So you're try- <laughs> trying to leave one fire and go help with some more fires along the highway. Yeah, there. that one's kind of a crazy story too. But it was later in the day and I, my timeline's getting mixed up because of everything that happened. But there was uh, the one thing I remember, because no one told us Slay Lake was burning like the town of, it was, um, we were headed out to Flatbush and I think I was a little late getting out there, but what I remember is my one good friend, she phoned me and she was crying and whatever and just all broke up and 
could barely understand her, but she said her house was on fire and she lives like right in the middle of the Southeast. And I was like, what? that doesn't make, what? Like what? And like no one even told us slate was threatened or nothing bad was happening. We thought things were still going well there. And yeah, well, I think it was, you know, until that yeah. wind picked up to 127 kilometers an hour, I think they, like 3.30, I remember it was, it was holding, yeah. right? Um, we were talking about it at a meeting, you know, and, and it's those, those words that I always say, right? If nothing else changes, we're doing pretty good. And then yeah. that meeting wasn't even done yet. And I was already like, my phone's blowing up and things are freaking out. And so you guys are out in Flatbush. I think it was two or three fires along the highway, right? We're I just know the one where it crossed there. We were out in White's water hauling area yeah. on a field when we kind of figured that out. And we let Fred know right away. And yeah, it's funny to think back on that too. Like there were some old girls back in the day in Smith too, like the amount of kilometers that got put on going from Flatbush all the way to Slave. And yeah, it was right, old, the old Cheyenne. <laughs> and then we had Mitsu's engine, which yeah. is that single cab, single cab pumper. Yeah. But uh, we pulled that other, I, don't, I think it was Widewater's old uh, Superior front mount. Yeah, out of the MD it was yard. A convert, I don't know if they converted it to a weed sprayer yet, but it, that was a cool story too. So we rallied back in Smith, switched manpower, because at that time people were already evacuating and, I don't know who told Fred to get another truck or whatever, but somehow we figured out there was that thing was sitting in the MD shop up on the, by the dump there. Yeah. And so we went up there and he jumps in the driver's seat of that thing. And as I'm walking up, this sign comes flying out right in front of me, hits the wall, falls down. I'm like, what the hell was that? And I see him in there looking around and I like pick the sign up, big sign, do not operate on it. He got us fired right up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, at the time it had no water. We had no idea if the pump even worked or anything. And, <laughs> We just drove that thing right to town and that thing ran all night. I actually ran that pump on that most of the night. And it, I actually think they still have that. Like that truck's still around. They're still I think it's still it. sitting in it's the sleeve. It's a water sprayer. Yeah. They got a spray there bar on the back. There was two of them though, wasn't there? Was yeah. Like, yeah. But I think one it was the wide water one from we brought. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. What do you remember about that day, Ryan? I know you were hanging around the fire hall. Yeah. I'd, I mean, uh, probably one of the bigger ones was we were headed out to Martin Beach. We were kind of with like a last ditch crew when things started blowing up at the fire hall and Martin Beach, they had a fire out that way too. That was threatened. And it kind of seemed like it would have been a big call for us usually, but it was totally like a back burner thing because at that time there were starting to be houses on fire in the Southeast. And I remember, I think there was three or four of us, Joanne Hunter was driving us, who was helping with the junior program at the time. I don't even know if she was a full firefighter yet or just, and uh, there was a couple more of us and we started heading out towards uh, Martin beach. And I remember getting a phone call from you and basically just said like, if you guys go out there, good luck. Like you can go, but you're coming back. Cause you know, by the time that you get, get back, uh, you know, the highway might be compromised. And so we kind of sat on the side of the highway for a couple minutes, four people who had, no idea about anything and none of us had the decision making capabilities at that point probably in our careers and we decided to turn around and go back and I think they ended up sending a helicopter out for them and they picked them all up and evacuated a bunch of people off the beach there which is pretty cool too but one of those things that kind of just get covered up in the grand scheme of things because there's so many crazy stories. You have to wonder if it gets lost right I mean uh, fire 56 is the first day of the Saturday fire 65 is later right so the one that actually burns into town so out of those nine fires that were in between three of them ran communities right so so you've got that uh martin beach fire and you've got the red earth fire 
And later, uh, those ran, ended up running three different communities out the same time as Slave Lake. So it's not like Forestry was sitting around going, oh, geez, you know, I wonder what we'll do today. They're, they're getting crushed by this mountain of fire. And, uh, you know, even the Slave Lake one at, I think, is 8,600 hectares. It's yeah. not a big fire no, in the big no. scheme of, you know, what we do here. But it was just wrong place, wrong time. So, you know, as Smith came back into town, I think you ended up on a crew that is like one of my stories that I love to hear about. You were over in the north east part of town yeah so we went back and i think we rallied up at the fire hall had a quick meeting about what we were going to do and at that point i think that was a, a rallying point for everybody at the same time because i remember you had the big map of the town out and uh everybody was rushing you rushing you there oh this is on fire this that and there and kind of got everybody settled down back up back up okay and then i remember you took a dry race and circled the southeast and then put an x through it and went don't worry about that right now we got to worry about these other areas right now is when the hospital was going on and, the, and then the mall was happening and yeah, there's lots going on. So we ended up getting assigned, I think, to the Northeast to keep it from coming across the creek if we could. And I don't even remember what the exact orders were, but I remember ending up on the street beside between the government center. There was that apartment building right off Main Street um, where the railway tracks are. And I remember that apartment building was burning completely and there was so much black smoke pushing across the road you couldn't see past it and we were looking for hydrants i think to drag them into the northeast and i can't quite recall i think that's when the government center was just lighting up too and it was all kinds of chaos but we ended up down uh down by the post office um got the trucks rallied up went down i can't remember which road that is but down towards fiddlers there yeah, in the corner where ferro's house went up there yeah, and there was a host just starting to give her one, or sorry, there's one fully involved, one just starting to go, and it was kind of burning all around us and lots of lawns and hedges and trees and plenty of targets. And uh, we basically parked those two pumps we had side by side, hooked one into the other just for extra water, and because we had no hydrants at that point, and uh, those water trucks, those industrial water trucks kept us going. And Was Terrace in on that? I can't remember which, uh, which no. industrial trucks were there. No, he so. wasn't. It was just like uh, spillock water truck type units, like yeah. tandem axle, triaxle I, water truck. I always tell that, so, you know, I get to talk about this fire across the country, and uh, I always talk about that story, right? So two fire trucks with like, you know, seven, eight firefighters, volunteer firefighters from small town Smith, and a couple of water trucks kind of saved the whole northeast part of town because it would have just kept spreading if no one yeah. would have went there, right? Like it's it was just, just one a of key corner, and we just—I don't know—maybe Fred got told to go there, and he knew that's where to go. But it was just like right where the road kind of ends and turns back to the north, right in that corner. It was—I think we lost two or three houses in there, but we it didn't spread past that, and just tons of water and. Just go, go, go. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? What, like, what sticks out? What was the, the craziest thing that happened in that fire that you can remember? I mean, it's hard because they're all crazy, but. Yeah, I don't, uh, like I said, I think there was a group of us. I think probably just the sheer, I mean, craziest part for everyone is just seeing all that, right? And as we went out and kind of delivered things out to different people and we were, I mean, I was an equipment runner for a lot of that night, bringing out pieces to people that, uh you know, had broken trucks or needed water or whatever. And uh, yeah, just driving through town and some of those places, right? No power, everything is just that orange glow. There's still people kind of hit and miss around town throughout the whole night, kind of, right? Trying to protect their house or coming back to, to, to leave Where again. Do we go? Or, yeah, exactly, right? So I think one of the, the craziest moments that I can remember for me is driving down and popping out onto Highway 2. And when you were, it was kind of right when the chaos of the evacuation was going on. I can't remember what we were doing. We were delivering something somewhere. 
might've been even out to meet a wide water crew on that highway or something. Cause they had obviously problems. They were coming in and, and also trying to figure out what, how much was going on out there. And I remember just going out and all of a sudden you just emerge from the smoke and it's just like complete daylight. And you're just like, it was probably whatever, right? Six o'clock or something like that. And it's just like a totally different world. Like you would not think that it was still, I thought it was midnight mm -hmm. and you're driving through and it's pitch black because there's so much smoke, so windy. And all of a sudden you kind of drive out and we're out on the highway and it's just this beautiful day, obviously super windy. And, you know, all of a sudden you have, uh, 6,000 people or more maybe from wide water and like everyone in the surrounding area and they're in the Walmart parking lot basically right like yeah. there's just this one area <laughs> yeah exactly and you know it's uh often busy over there but <laughs> definitely never that busy right and there's people pulling campers and boats and parking them in the middle of the grass and I think that was probably one of the craziest uh just for a kid looking at that and being like there is literally a whole town in a you know 10 uh, hectare area or 20 hectare area right now seemed like it was just all compact right down to to that but yeah one of, like one of my favorites and, and there's just so many you can't tell them all right like you'd have to just record for hours and hours to get them all but one of my favorite ones is i went in to help a crew i think at that point it's just like everybody got to do what they have to do there's no no sense having a boss right i mean everyone's fighting for survival literally where they are and i go down to 12th street and there's a ladder truck way down at the end. You could see it up and a few guys had SCBA on. And then about halfway down was pump four, right? Our old white one there. Those guys are doing their thing. And pump three was by me. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just jump in with pump three, right? So there's big Joel, Ronnie, Carl Hill. And so I'll just like jump in, start helping, right? And uh, down one of the streets, I see this house starting to go. So it's kind of weird because it's almost like who carried like it's just another house out of hundreds that are on fire. But so I walked over to the corner and I started calling in. I think it was a wide water engine because they were looking for work. I said, get in here. And, you know, there's a house on fire halfway down 10th. And and uh, Ronnie walks over and he just really squints and looks and he goes, oh, don't worry about that place. And he just walks away. And I'm like, hey, Ronnie, what like what are you talking about? He's like, oh, that's one of my rental houses. Those guys moved out yesterday. It's empty. Don't worry about it. And he just walked away and went back to work. And him and Joel, are, you know, got hoses and they're spraying. And for some reason, right then, right there, I stopped what I was doing and I counted all the houses that were on fire. So I was on 12th and 10th and uh, there was 35 houses that I could see from where I was standing that were on fire, like in different phases, right? Fully going and, and just starting. And uh, I remember just thinking you know what What can we do right and i turned around and i walked back over to the truck and for whatever reason ronnie and joel had started fighting about this hose and the pressure and what they were doing wrong and and i just lost my mind and i was like hey you guys they're like looked at me and i was like oh we got to each other you got to stick together and it was like one of those weird aha moments right and they both got this weird look at my on their faces and they they kind of looked at each other and then the big i love you man i love you man everybody's <laughs> hugging right it's like okay get back to work right <laughs> And so it's just like these weird little pieces of, of things that you remember as you go along, right? And so, you know, like uh, I can remember the time, Ryan, they told you to go get a police car, right? Or get a camera. That's what it was. He said, Ryan, just take my police car and go get a camera. And Ryan just kind of looks at me and I'm like, whatever, just go get it. And the guy's gone. He's gone. And the cop looks at me and he's like, what? Like, what was the weird look there? And I was like, well, he has no driver's license. He's 15. The guy's like, well, whatever. There's no one around, right? I need that camera. So, <laughs> so it's not a big deal, right? 
and just all the firefighters coming in and out. So, you know, it's crazy. We could talk about that for hours. We're not going to. So moving on from there, right? Fire comes in, burns down 35% of the town. There's this chaos. We get all this money. And I mean, in a couple of weeks, millions, millions, millions of dollars are pouring in, right? And one of the things we decide to do, it was at Boston Pizza one night while we're having some spaghetti and beer. <laughs> yeah, the guy says to me, well, we should start a crew. And so me and Carl Hill started talking about that, throwing it around. And so you probably remember the phone call there, right? So let's talk about that, Patrick. You get this phone call from me. Oh, is that the HSC bunkhouse in White Court between Oilfield Jones and, <laughs> and uh, phone's ringing, Jamie Coots? Holy shit. And I, you told me a month or so after the fire, because I went to fire school after the fire. I was already scheduled in before the fire and all that, but I actually ended up going that August, I guess, and... I remember you said, keep your phone on you because there might be some work coming your way if you're interested. And so, yeah, anyway, you called me and I answered and you're like, what the hell, man? You don't call, you don't write, I don't hear from you. What's going on? And you said, you going to come work for me or what? I said, well, geez, I don't know. What do you, would you take me? And I think you said, uh, you'll promise me an interview, but the rest was up to me. And so, yeah, that was just kind of how that went. And I think it was another couple of weeks or so. And I came in for an interview and yeah, did the interview and got the job a couple of weeks after that. And got started i guess yeah, yeah all kind of we had to build the fire smart crew right and so you know th those are some crazy days and and i think how is adding it up the other day i think there's like 11 people that were kind of in the fire smart crew that came and went i remember the first girl we ever hired don't remember her name off the top of my head but she only stayed for like a few days and then she moved yeah. on and and uh you know people came and went but uh, you were a staple right from the start right ryan jumped in halfway and uh it, it's just kind of cool how that all built, right? Like uh, it was the only one of its kind in the country. No one had really ever done it before. It was, uh, well, I mean, talk about it a little bit. What was the job? You, you, I hear, I've heard you answer this many, many times. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was, um, obviously I had no idea what the hell Fire Smart was back in those days, but um, I mean, I wanted to be a career firefighter and at some point, and I mean, what better place to get started on that than right close to home, so... The way I remember you describing it to me was uh, you got to come work on work in the bush a little bit. You get to do forestry hell attack work. And in the meantime, you get to go on calls and be a firefighter around the hall and stuff like that. So it sounded pretty good to me. Yeah, I don't know. It was a lot of vegetation management at the start. We were just kicking off a big landscape project basically around all the communities in the MD in the town. And we basically started up a four-person crew and did a bunch of mulching, chainsaw and chippering, burning brush piles, burning grass, kind of all that kind of stuff. It was kind of heavy the first couple of years, but lots of calls, you know, lots of fire department training, got lots of courses over the years. And I think the biggest thing we noticed was the people was, you know, it was tough to kind of figure out what the crew was and find the right people for that crew. So we kind of struggled with that over the years. Just It just changed so much. And uh, we had a lot of senior membership in the volunteer side. That were really awesome to work with, but there were some pretty big changes going on. So, I mean, that made it pretty difficult, I can imagine, for those guys to, you know, cope with I, I think to this day, I mean, there was never really a, a job description that yeah. could capture what it was, what the essence of the Fire Smart crew was, right? So, yeah. uh, Ryan, you're, you're sitting off to the side. You're a student with the fire service. We brought you in in the summertime to work with the crew, and you're kind of, you know, what drew you to the crew? What, what made you think, hey, that's a place for me? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I had the same aspirations is what uh, uh, Patrick did, right? I wanted to be a career firefighter. I, I uh, you know, got hooked probably from that, that whole experience we just talked about and from a young age. And uh, yeah, after that, uh, 
you know, I, I kind of decided that that's what I wanted to do for, for the rest of my life. And I found out that you could actually do it and get paid for it somehow. And so I started kind of working towards that. And, you know, I think for me, the crew, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of hours. Uh, we, you know, there's a lot of time that we gave to this place, but at the same time, it gave so much back to us, right? There is things that I've got to do here that I'll probably never get to do no matter where I go and work again, right? There was so much. There wasn't one certain aspect that was super busy ever, but when you put all the aspects of everything we did in together, it seemed like the busiest job in the world. But it was just, there was so much, right? Like, you know, to this day, I can put on my resume that I know how to run heavy equipment and, you know, that we did hell attack and got all that training, got to fly around Northern Alberta in a helicopter. And we got to go on all these deployments to cool places and, you know, uh, learn how to run a chainsaw and a mulcher and and uh, going on all these these cool calls that, you know, quite frankly, over the years, we've had some, we have a very vast region with a lot of different moving parts. And like I said, they don't, uh, you know, we're not the busiest fire department still to this day by any means, but we get some pretty crazy stuff with some very short manpower at certain times, right? So some of the situations that you got yourself in, in any of those aspects were just, you know, really cool. And I think it definitely helped build everyone who's a part of it into what they are today. So... So for me, I, I mean, I look at that. It was probably the most incredible five, six year span of my career, 30 years in the fire service. We had the fire. We started building the crew, right? And I mean, it was chaos. It, it was like this crazy, never ending, seven day a week, 24 hours a day, 365 day a year job. But it was like, and I kind of almost want to relate it to like what bands must feel like. They struggle and they struggle and they write some songs and they try and, and then they finally hit it and they, and they're huge rock stars. Like they're just out there, they're at arenas, they're playing, people are, you know, talking to them, calling them all the time. And uh, not to, you know, put us together with Nickelback or any of these places, right? Everyone will tease me for saying Nickelback. Eat it. It's one of my favorite bands. And here we are being this new, there, there's none. There was never one like this before. We're the only one. We're getting called for deployments. We're getting, we're going to talk about all this stuff, right? We get to go to the Southern floods. We get to go to train derailments. We get to go to fires. People are calling us up to go all over the place. You guys get to go to BC. And we're just kind of, you know, for this five or six year period, we're just like incredibly rocking it. And, uh, you know, the highs and lows of it. And uh, we could, again, talk for weeks. But so let's go. Let's start with we're going to go the good, the bad, the ugly. So, Patrick, what were some of the best things about being on the crew? Oh, I mean, getting to work with your buddies all the time. And uh, it was pretty rewarding, of course, like um, between the calls and helping out in the community and being involved in everything. I mean, I think the biggest word you can use to describe the Fire Smart program and, the you know, just working at the Lesser Slave Regional Fire Service is probably the amount. The variety of stuff you got to do was amazing. And like Ryan mentioned, you're not always working on the one thing all the time, like, but you kind of had to be able to work on all the different pieces that made it work, whether it was the special team stuff or the forestry stuff or, you know, anything in between. It's hard to describe it all because there's so many pieces, but... Yeah, I don't know. That was probably the, the highest was that it was really rewarding and, uh, you know, your hard work paid off. You got to see it in action all the time and you got to be the voice of change and you got to do the right thing. That was big for me all the time. It's like being a gunslinger, eh? Like you're just kind of going around <laughs> yeah. ma- making your own choices, right? Like yeah. it's just literally, it's, I don't want to say no rules because certainly there was a million rules and we had to follow budgets and all that, but it was just a time where 
because no one else really knew what we knew, we were just getting to set the trail, right? Like we were just out there and uh, people were following us along and asking us questions. So Ryan, for you, the good, what, what was the best? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think, it, like I said, is just the variety of everything, right? It uh, For me coming in, I, I started full-time actually when I was still 17 on probation and uh, graduated early. And like for me, I was a 17-year-old kid with not a care in the world, right? Like I, I would work 24-7, 365. I absolutely loved it. The couple of days you get off, you go and hang out with your friends. But other than that, it was all about work and, you know, whether that's good or bad, uh, I'm sure lots of people in my life could say different things about that now today. But, you know, it's just, uh, you know, back then just being a young guy, like being able to go and do all that cool stuff. And, you know, one day you're in a helicopter working for forestry and dropping into the middle of a bush and fighting a wildfire. And the next day you're going on calls and the next day you're, you know, we got tons of training courses and opportunities and, you know, it just, just the vast, uh, variety of things that we got to do and, and accomplish throughout the time I think was the biggest for me it's awesome so I hate to take it from the highs but let's get to the lows there was some stuff <laughs> what, what were the lows let's be honest here break it open boys it's all good we can all handle it I don't know I think for me it was just a demanding job and the work-life balance I struggled at and I was I'm a guy who just likes going to work lots too so I didn't exactly help that myself but I think that was a challenge for me personally. All a bunch of workaholics that uh, found, finally found a job where you could be a workaholic but our yeah. significant others didn't always love that. Eh? <laughs> we probably I don't know what do you think Ryan we could probably all agree on that one hey like your your actual life kind of takes a hit on that. It's one. funny actually you were Patrick talking about you know waiting for the phone call and stuff we were just having a conversation with the chief here today and talking about you know they were kind of asking me you know what it was like at the start and I, I don't even know all the like it started out as what a three month or one year contract and three then year. It was a three year didn't year. it would oh did it go straight to three years yeah, okay. three and then, years right and then, then they fought years. for 10 years yep. and, and I remember there being like different right and it was always kind of like oh you know are we gonna have jobs here and I remember vividly now this is my second end date still in this position coming up uh in a couple months now and you know, I just remember what it felt like both times. I, I just got on the crew full time. I think there was like eight or nine months left when I got on full time of the first contract. And it's like, well, I mean, again, I was a 17 year old kid and had nothing to really lose. So I was like, yeah, nine months is better than nothing. Right. Yeah, so, better no money. <laughs> so, you know, jumped on, but I just remember like the, the craziness of, of everyone being like, oh, you know, like we're, did we do good enough? It always felt like it was on our shoulders, right? Did we do good enough to make people want to give us more money and continue on and yeah. and uh you know we knew we were doing good work but it, it's not always up to us whether whether you know the, the life of the crazy workaholic eh? like did we work hard enough for people to give us more work <laughs> so we could work until yeah, we, exactly. you know it's just like yeah it, to me uh the ugly and I, you guys can share these stories but there's two let's call them files or folders that i always remember was the sleep one you guys all took pictures of each other when you're falling asleep all over the place because it, <laughs> it's long ugly. hours and crazy stuff <laughs> and then uh the stuck file Right, so let's hear. It. Let's get some get some favorites going. Well, I'll start because I <laughs> probably pissed off the most about it because I was the guy that they would call when they got stuck. When I got stuck, I didn't call anyone. I just dealt with it. No one ever knew. But in case you can't tell from his voice, folks, he's got a stern face going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuck and sleeps. Those are good ones. I remember one picture comes to mind with the sleeps is Logan sleeping in a track hole bucket. Had a fire. North um, Creek. Yeah. There's lots. But uh, yeah, the stuck file. I mean, we got that mulcher on a skid steer and 
we used everything to pull that friggin' thing out from our tractor to a town loader to uh we hired a d6 cat one time to a oh, boost yeah. turnbull skitter yeah there's there some good ones plenty of stuck stuff happening and those things are heavy and as Bruce we, turnbull I, I remember when i called him i was like hey bruce can you help us out with your skitter oh what's going on i said that the boys got the bobcat buried like buried past the tracks out at the Wildwater complex and he said oh yeah like i'll go and have a look i said look it i didn't call you to yeah. see if you could go have a look we already right? tried it's buried they sent me the pictures can you take your skitter there and he says well you know it's gonna take a while to get down there and, and get my skitter and i said okay but if you can like let me know because it's important that we uh that we do this right and uh i remember when he called me back i think it took like a while to get the bobcat out i don't want it it was more drive time because you had to drive it from right, his house and it's a really old skitter it didn't so like an hour and a half later he phones me up and he's like well we got him out but you owe me supper right yeah. and it's like oh man it must have been buried right so that was a good one i can remember the one ton so what, what was it the one ton got stuck and then the tractor got stuck where was that one? I, don't oh, I, I remember that one. I don't so know where high school. Was, though, I think it was. Oh yeah, yeah that it was, was a, it was a chain all that. of a sudden. Yeah, they uh, <laughs> they got a fourteen thousand pound skid steer stuck and thought a one ton pickup could go drive in the same terrain it just drove through, a track skid steer just drove through to pull it out. So, but then the tractor came and saved the day, pulled both those two out. So that was uh, yeah, it was no big deal all the time. But it's just you know logistics of getting it out, getting it cleaned up. Did you break anything, kind of thing, and then. So you, you guys are going to hate this, but for me, one of the ugliest days of the whole crew was uh, the day Tyler Hobbs hurt his thumb. <laughs> and so I get this text, says, uh, Tyler cut his thumb. We're on the way into town. And so you guys deal with chainsaws, right? And, and so I'm thinking, like, these guys aren't going to call me for, like, a little butterfly bandage, right? And so I'm like, yeah, come straight to the hospital. I ripped down to the hospital. I got, like, the ER is in full yeah. crazy mode. Like, they're hanging IVs. They got the dock down there. The x-ray machines warmed up. We're, we're getting ready. And, and everyone's like, how bad is it? And I'm like, I don't know. They won't text me back. You know, there's all these dead spots on the way to town. And and uh, you guys come flying into town and there's Tyler. He's just walking up. Everything's all good, right? And I'm like, man, that guy's pretty calm for like his thumb ripped off or, you know, I've got it built up in my head. To And he walks in and he takes the bandage off. And it's like literally a butterfly bandage could handle it. <laughs> and the nurses all look at me and I'm like, you guys are the best. I apologize. I have no idea. Like, I'm <laughs> so mad right now. I'm just going to leave. And I walk out of the hospital. And uh, like that was so bad. I had to send flowers the next day to say sorry to them. <laughs> That's and, the beauty of being from a small town, at least, I <laughs> yeah. guess. Hey? Yeah, it was. It was all hands on deck. I mean, he could have had his whole thumb ripped off and yeah. had people ready to sew it back on. Yeah. Right? But, uh, you know, that was bad. Another b ugly day was, Ryan, you jumped out of the truck on an icy day and slipped and smacked your head on the on the door and on the ice and text us and we had to rip over there and get you and go get you checked out from the hospital so you know to me the ugly was always like somebody got hurt or something happened and it was just my head though so yeah luckily right yeah. i mean we're, we're all okay <laughs> it was a real job about relationships right i remember that like we're always working with forestry working with fire smart canada you know they would call us up laura we got to give her a shout out right we all love her she's awesome she, you know, hey, could we try this out? Could we do that process? Could you guys do this for us? You know, the Alberta government, other fire departments that we had to work with and places we had to go, you know, like all of those deployments, we got to go there and, and be those guys that, uh, you know, step up and stand up to it. So I don't know. I just really remember it being a relationship job. Oh, yeah. 
So we talked about 11 team members, right? So that that was kind of crazy too, over and over. I mean, I hired some people sight unseen just from the phone. Other people, we had big panels. Uh, by the end though, I got to tell you guys, you dialed that in, right? And so let's talk a little bit about how you dial that process in to find somebody that can fit this job. I was going to say, I think when we finally got like the reins to go ahead and add some stuff in and, you know, we, we didn't change any of the titles or anything, but we got to add in some different courses and some different lines that made people kind of be like, huh, you know, and I think when we got Logan and Adam, that was when we really finally fine tuned our process. You know, we had an actual process to get hired and, you know, people were applying for the job that it was yeah. more so than the job that it was made out to be previous. The right? job description was, a, I think it hurt us for a long time just because it wasn't because we didn't really know what the heck it even was. So, I mean, it, how do you describe something? How do you, you put it describe? into words, right? It's just like, hey, uh, everything. Just put everything on there and they got to figure it out. But, I mean, it didn't, the job description hurt us, I think, in getting the right people to apply, even. Not that we had wrong people. It's just we'd hire people that would find out it's not what they thought it was and, you know, it didn't end up working out. But uh, that, I think, was a big change. Adding in the come hang out with us two, for two days part. That was clutch. I think. I mean, you only learn so much from an interview and the tryouts. Eh? Yeah, the so, tryouts. Were like huge. the guy that did the the easy. Like there was two tests, right? There's the fire department test, and then there was like the forestry hack test. And the guy that did the fire department test and puked right after. And we're yeah. all like, how, "How's this guy? Like he just did yeah. the easiest test. It's like two percent of the real test." Yeah. Yeah. So. That was clutch, and I think it's only because it's such a unique position, and you're only working with three other dudes, and you got to yeah. be able to fit right, and it's got to work for everyone. So had a lot to do with the personalities had to fit because we spent, yeah. well, definitely more time with each other than our own families and, and everyone else. Right? We we always had a pretty tight crew outside of work, and it didn't really seem like there was an outside of work for a lot of the time, too. Right? We were kind of always turned on. So I, I can always yeah. remember the uh, the schedule. Right. So like it was 14 days and then you should have a week off and, but you could stretch it to 21 and if you got permission, <laughs> you could stretch to 24. And then I don't know what our biggest number ever was, but I, you know, as the chief, I could always remember you guys on day one, everybody's like high five and happy to be back. Maybe one or two days off, maybe three or four, but you know, and, and then after a week, it's still like, okay, it's good. It's a grind, but right. And we get to 14 days and everyone's like, yeah, it's all good. And by day 20, it's like, I'm going to stab this guy. <laughs> Do you remember any of your longest shifts? 28 was what I remember. I think, yeah, I think I was right around there too. And I remember it, it was, we did 24 days and I was at my like absolute max. And I remember everyone was getting mad at me. And obviously some of you may know my mom works in HR. So went straight to the fire chief sometimes when we got too long. And I remember being at 24 and Patrick's like, no matter what you're leaving and you guys have to go, blah, blah, blah. And they were getting pretty, pretty long into their shift too. So I was going to go. And for some reason, I was a couple of days ahead of them. I was going to go and then come back. So there was still someone around. And I remember we got that Old Smith Highway fire. And there was like, so I was on day 24. And then there was like three days in a row where these crazy calls kept coming in. It was like May going into June. And we just kept getting like these big calls every day. And you're working like longer days than your normal days. And you're like, what is going on? And then finally... I think it was was you and you're like, you know what, give me your pager, go to Edmonton, get away from this town and you have to take at least like now we're at the point where you have to take at least three days off and just go and don't come back. Like, don't look at your phone. Don't care if anyone calls you, just leave. And 
I think it, for a few times it got to that point where it's like, okay, we're getting you a bus and we're getting you out of here yeah, because yeah. otherwise you're just yeah. going to keep We work. get so tired. It's like somebody drive this guy to Edmonton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He can't even drive himself, right? Yeah. Patrick, you're looking sad, buddy. You're starting to think back. Yeah, you're getting, long, you're right? digging up some demons. That's all, yeah. yeah. You're all like the big four on, four off. Now, <laughs> yeah, living yeah, the dream trick. now, it's awesome. right? It's all yeah. good. It's okay, buddy. The, the nightmare's over. So in all of this stuff, we get to the 2013 floods, right? So I, I don't know how much you remember the startup, but uh, we weren't getting the call right away, and, and we were kind of ready, right? We had all this, these guys, this team. Ryan, I think you were still part-time then, and Patrick and his crew are, are uh, all spooled up. We parked all the stuff out front, took a bunch of pictures, sent it off to the government, said, hey, look at us, we're all ready. Like, we got our boat, we got our trailers, we got our pumps, we're... And so we finally get this call and they said, hey, would you guys be willing to go to Siksika First Nation and help these guys out? Like the, the place is flooded right out. There's hundreds of houses flooded. And so we're, we're like, yeah, absolutely, right? Like it's perfect for us. Yeah. It's a remote area. It's kind of rural. They really need the help. They want us to come. And uh, so we load up and, and we head out there. And, and uh, I don't know if you remember when we first got there, but we went to like the only high spot that was left. And, and the fire all happened to be yeah. up on this hill. And we meet uh, Stacy Dewar. And he says, hey, uh, don't just park your campers over there. We had all full campers for everybody. Just park your campers over there. And we were parked in like one of the largest prairie dog <laughs> infestations that I've ever seen in my entire life. There was thousands of these things around us. We're parked right in the middle of it. And, and we got to go to get to work. So... Patrick, like, what were some of your first memories when we got there? Putting pylons on all the gopher holes. Like, <laughs> the, the gophers would get in our garbage cans, and we'd have to rattle them out of there. And I don't know. I remember the craziest thing to me, I think, was those bridge washouts. Seeing those bridges gone, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And it was like stuff. When, like, I grew up next to a big river, and I remember as a kid, I'd have nightmares about the bridge washing away or something while I was on it. And I remember just thinking, like, this is the shit my nightmares are made of. <laughs> Nightmare but, fuel. Yeah, exactly. So it was just, you know, like, whoa, this must have been big. Yeah, yeah both massive bridges, right? Yeah. On the River Bow River, all washed out. You can't get to them. And pieces of them are out in the middle, and both ends washed out. And, mm -hmm. Right, having to get around. And, and so, uh, you know, which brings up a good point. I remember the day where we finally said, you know, where we're from, you guys are working on a helicopter every day. We use helicopters as spotting. And we're down there in southern Alberta, and we're like, hey, you know what? Like, it's a two-and-a-half-hour drive around to the other side of the reserve. It's two-and-a-half hours back. Why don't we just grab a helicopter? It's like a 10-minute flight. And they looked at us like we had 14 eyes. Like, they're just like, what are you guys talking about, right? We made a few calls. Some of our buddies were working in the right places in forestry. And uh, kind of a couple hours later, we hear the the thump of a medium helicopter starting to come towards us. And, and so I remember we were just sitting there, and they kind of have to fly over the arena where most of the people were displaced to. And there was this stream. You could see it for like a kilometer of bikes, eh? All these kids could hear this big thumping, and they're just like <laughs> on their bikes coming for the adventure. We had to actually like hold everybody back and put the pylons out. And this big, massive helicopter, which we're used to, but they're not, pulls up, and, and these kids are in awe, and everybody's in awe. You know, that was pretty cool. And then, so then starting the next day, all the crews were flying by helicopter, right? It was just to that one subdivision. That was like that uh, golf course that was Hidden Valley. Hidden Valley. Hidden Valley. Yeah. yeah, that was the only one we flew to. But for the first few days, it was all pickups and quads and we'd try and roads were washed out everywhere. And just, I think we were just assessing homes to see how damaged they were. Exactly, and, things. Yeah. and we had uh, what, an RCMP, a health, a building inspector, search and rescue, us, and then... Uh, 
But yeah, then we flew into that place because it took us forever to get there. And then even when we got there, the road going into it was completely washed out and you, it was still underwater. So you couldn't even drive close. So yeah, we flew in there. That was pretty cool. We put, I think, three teams on the ground in there. Just to I think that was that the one. And that was right by the river. And that place had like houses completely missing and just the pilings left standing up, sticking out of the ground and walking around in upside down houses. Or... And it was wild. And golf carts and trees still buzzing. And I was going to say, that's the one where Thomas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thomas, that was awesome. Actually got one going. Yeah. He found a key, a set of keys in every stupid golf cart we walked by he'd try it i'm like you're never gonna find that one golf, <laughs> cart. One golf cart or that brand or whatever that works i don't know how golf cart keys work but he found it and we loaded it up with people <laughs> and then we made it about 100 yards and it died but for that 100 yards we weren't walking and it you were awesome. you were the greatest firefighters on earth someone had a picture of it somewhere i don't know that was fun. That was a great deployment because we we're helping people out. We got to take search and rescue people. We got to take fire people. We were working with the police, public health, right? Uh, the people from the nation were awesome. I mean, they came by, checked on us every day, helped us out, and uh, made made some great friends there. Eric Redgun, remember him? He was down from housing every day. Stacy, to this day, still talk to him. Uh, Tom Littlechild was the chief and uh the fire chief so we got to work with all those guys and it was awesome and so we were done uh we stayed there for about 14 days and then they said hey you know uh instead of going home we got this other deployment for we you. did go home though because we had our 50 years of firefighting party oh we went home for the weekend and you got the That's phone call right. at the party because i was <laughs> sitting beside you yeah. and you're like hey you want to go back to work <laughs> yeah. yeah whatever yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right yeah we got one night off to drink at least yeah <laughs> Yeah, we had, uh, yeah, we'd been setting that up for a year, eh? Trying to find all our firefighters from 50 years and plan a big party and all these awards, had all the old boys come back yeah. for awards and stuff. And eight hour drive home to turn around and go back again. Honestly, and, yeah, yeah. It was a about days uh, 10 o'clock at night and we got a band of us together to say, hey, we're going back to High River. And so we did, we went down there. And I'll tell you, like, I can remember the first day we walked in there and it was pretty cold. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they were not happy to have us there. They didn't want us to have us there. And, and uh, they didn't know why anyone sent us. And we'd actually been sent to kind of relieve firefighters so they could deal with their thing. I think it was like a 90% or 95% of the firefighters' homes had been affected in High River by the flood. So we just told the guys, hey, just, yeah. you know, do do the right thing. Like, you know, in Slave Lake, when everybody came to help us, remember, we weren't all pumped about it at first either, right? In the end, 1,100 firefighters came to help us from 38 different agencies across uh, Alberta. And uh, we we did you know, appreciate the help, but not at first. So I think, you know, we mopped floors and, and swept and talked to the people and listened to the stories. You brought us together in the camp because we stayed in the camp the first night. We all got in pretty late. And the next morning it was like 6 a.m. or something and we gathered us. And you said, here to help. Keep that in your mind. We tore all the flashes off our shoulders. So I think we just had nothing. So we weren't like trying to big dick anyone or nothing. And I think between that and just whatever they needed like we washed their floors and helped them clean up and looked at their trucks trish was the big driver there she got yeah. in right away with that's us. right yeah she was yeah. awesome right yeah she was good so kind of actually adopted us and started showing us around uh i mean i i had some success i got to sit with lynn and yeah and trevor and and really kind of go through you know what's going on and how could we actually help here but it took a couple days right oh yeah yeah and then we got to help at the md of foothills too yeah Right. So there were some guys over there we knew and, and got to go and help with those guys. And at the end of the day, I mean, I don't think any of us had seen flood destruction like that. We'd been to Siksika and seen the bridges and seen the houses and it, and it was damaged. Right. And then we went in and here's this 
you know, full on vibrant city with roads washed out and yeah. whole neighborhoods you couldn't see the train almost, tracks. Almost three weeks later, too, Total right? Like, yeah, just, like a long time. Yeah. Uh, that boat dealership, yeah. their boats were strewn all over town, and yeah. you know, the railway uh, tracks, railway yeah. tracks spun around, and and so you just you know you saw all this craziness. But that was also the first time that I can really remember on these deployments where you show up and it's like old home week, right? Like we went down to the emergency operations center, and there's. Daryl Reed, who'd helped us out in Slave yeah. Lake, you know, and he's there being the guy. And we walk down the hallway and there's Leah, you know, the person that does all the uh, public information from Slave. She's there helping out. And, uh, you know, it was just like everywhere you went, there's just another person, another person. I mean, as soon as we walked into the place, Terry Jessamine was like, hey, you want a helicopter ride and see this damage? And I was like, what? Are we on a forest fire here or what? Yeah. Right? <laughs> all these guys with yellow shirts hanging out. And so, uh, you know, it was, I think, the first time that I realized when you go on these deployments, it's the same sort of t people that get attracted to that and that sign up at work to go to it. And it was kind of the same group over and over and over again. So we just, you know, keep fast forwarding. Every year is another challenge, another crazy thing. But I really remember a window in there for us, 2014, 2015, where we went to Wabasca for a big fire and had to evacuate the town. That's where we made the transition from doing tons of hell attack to doing more structure protection. More, yeah. 2014 yeah, was, was the year where we really started sprinkling yeah. everything, yeah, and then doing that kind of stuff. Because I remember getting there and, uh, you know, I was supposed to be the boss of one area and I didn't want to do it. So I made Ryan do it. <laughs> and then you went to another area and you were the boss down the road there for... For us and and out of nowhere there's mike turcott comes and lands right on the road you know hanging out with us and hey guys the fire's over here and doing that and what can we do to help and and uh we're just like honestly a hundred feet away from a helicopter on this gravel road in the middle of nowhere an 18 year old kid and a 20 year old guy running the whole show and <laughs> and uh it's like wh what's happening right and that's why i go back to say like that five six year span is just like people trusted us with the world and and uh you know just knew that we were going to do the right thing and it was a although they were bad things that happened it was a crazy time to be a firefighter a fun time to be a firefighter right so wabuska we're standing in the trailer i said yeah, hey ryan you're running this this subdivision <laughs> what do you think there i i mean you know honestly in this job there was just again there was those times there was just crazy crazy calls and crazy things happening crazy deployments and you know you look back on it now and you're like trying to think of these stories and i was like i was 19 years old right like i didn't know i i had no idea about life yet right and you know some of the stuff that we got to do and i mean you were in the same position you started at 21 or 20 years old right like some of the stuff we got to do at such a young age that like people at that age are still you know drink, <laughs> drinking seven nights a week and you know, just, and we were working and I mean, it was fun. It was, you know, it was a, obviously not a, weren't crazy partiers or anything, but at the same time, like we got to do it a different way. Right. It was still the adrenaline and stuff. I think in lots of situations we definitely got addicted to, and you know, you got put in these crazy situations, whereas this young person, you're expected to fix these problems and people didn't care who you were or what you looked like when you got there. They're just like, here you go. And, uh, you know, it seemed like for a while there, uh, we just had that slave lake name behind us and it was just like, you're rolling with it as, and you know, it, it could have been the first time that you ran anything. Like for example, in Wabasca, right. That was the first time I really ran anything of that size. And it was just like, well, you know, we've been to these events before we know what to do. And it just kind of 
started calling shots and see if it works out. And if it doesn't, someone will pick you up and put you back on your feet and you try again. And I think that's uh, a lot of it was just, you know, getting that experience. We got a ton of experience that uh, was really great. I think that's where the relationships paid off, especially in the beginning. Yeah. That's when those were the really good years where everybody was still, you know, the Slave Lake fire was still in everyone's mind and trying to do the right thing all the time. Right. So I think, that really helped us in the early stages. And you kind of said it, right? It was like you almost got to have that Slave Lake swagger. It was like, whoa, those are the guys. They they went through that that uh, big fire and they came out the other side and they're working on this crew and they're working on this stuff. And there was almost like nothing you couldn't do. You would say something, people be like, yeah, if that's the right thing to do, let's do it, right? Even though you're 19, you're 21, you're right. And, and we were able to do that stuff. I think later on, as other people started to think they were catching up to us you know it changed that relationship changed and and it, it almost turned into more of a turf war an ego problem but back in those early days it was just like yeah we trust you guys do you know do the right thing and you know what's going on here used to love that train derailment so we're i don't know middle of the day center of the town 50 oil cars behind a couple uh, engines and then right after the oil cars the the next car derails and it's like actually hanging off the the crossing sign and nine more trains right what do you think when we pulled up on that one patrick well i'll tell you what me and another guy who was on the crew at the time we were out in asano burning grass with forestry and we were on the way back and we stopped at caribou for the train going by and then whatever it cleared and we carried on across the tracks of the fire hall and to this day i still think if i would have turned and looked to my right as we crossed the tracks i probably could have seen the start of it or the end of it or something because it would have been like somewhere around there it was only a couple hundred meters clear of that crossing yeah (laughs) and we by the time we pulled into the back of the fire hall parking lot the friggin radio is going off for a train to our helmet and me and i think it's rob we look at each other what it's like the train we just saw that's not right and uh (laughs) how can that be a derailment yeah i we ran in the hall change gear and i don't remember even which truck i think i was in the rescue on that one and yeah wild i mean i mean the biggest thing was like where where is there any people in trouble and where after school right it was like 3 30 yeah it was like maybe any vehicles under these things like i remember i've never been a trend derailment before i didn't know the first thing about what i should look for and i mean obviously like there was no hazardous materials to deal with so that was that was good but i mean you know looking back on what a guy learns over the years there was a lot of hazards there that we never even were thinking of and you know now but well and that's kind of the funny one because that was the first of eight so over the rest of that year, we had eight derailments in our subdivision in our area of train tracks. I remember Terry Tonsi saying he'd been there whatever twenty years, and he don't never only been to one where a, even a car hit the train. That was the only train call he'd ever had. And here it is and derailed we, in the center of our town. I mean, then we had a whole bunch that year, yeah. And there was some crazy ones, right? Like the, the Spillix truck that hit the side of the train, and then there was diesel for you know kilometers, and then just down from that, there was the other one where they all derailed and right like there was some some ones that this were weird, pretty yeah, like, yeah like some the rail some, was only designed to last this many years and we were at that last year or something. <laughs> yeah yeah it was for sure and i mean since then right they've got it fixed up and they haven't had any derailments but again we got in that section of years there we got to see that stuff right uh, i mean i'll never forget that engineer's face when i walked up and the rail had just split in front of the engine and the engines are kind of on top of spaghetti right there's 27 cars derailed and and uh 
the guy's face is just like oh, it just split i don't know what happened right it's out in the swamp middle of nowhere uh the one in town was only 500 meters from our big office right so there's that burnt down four years previous in the fire was, right yeah 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 it was uh you know crazy stuff and and it is like you know this is a special place. I, I get to travel across Canada and I talk to firefighters and, you know, lots of people have lots of calls and, and lots of call volume. And, but this is a, a special place where crazy things happen and you get to do everything, your water rescue, train rescue, floods, fires, you know, big fires, big rescues. Everything seems like it's bigger and badder and crazier. Maybe it's just like that because we were here and we lived it. But, uh, you know, you start to look at here's a crew of people that got to go to three of 10 of the biggest, most expensive disasters in Canadian history, all of written down recorded history. And it all happened in a five or six year span, right? All right. So, you know, we've gone through all these crazy deployments. We've done all these crazy things. We've, uh, I don't know, I think like to think that we've gone and done a really great job, built up some relationships. And then to me, the pinnacle of it all, probably the place where we did the best work, did some crazy stuff and where the relationships kind of started to fall apart a little bit, all in one big thing. May 2016, we're headed up to Fort McMurray. You know, I'll set the stage. We we knew that they were in trouble. We knew the fire was close to town. No one could know what was going to come next except for us, right? Because we'd seen it before. We'd gone through it. Uh, we got a call. Hey, can we have a trailer? Yeah, you bet. And, you know, all the different craziness. bullshit bureaucracy. Got through all of that <laughs> trying to get crap up with these guys. And the next morning, I told you guys pack up, right? And I called you up and said, okay, we're going. All right? And so break it out. What, what were you thinking? Patrick, what were you thinking? We're headed up to Fort McMurray. I don't know. We didn't know much about it. I mean, we tried to pay attention to the weather forecast for the day and kind of expected fire behavior. We knew it was a very hot year well not hot year but a dry year we knew that from burning grass around slave that year that conditions were kind of unlike anything i had ever seen which you know in my short career isn't saying much but i just i kind of had the hair on the back of my neck feeling because i remember we quit burning grass just before that and it's only what may 3rd i think it it's was early for sure and yeah. that usually we burn right into the mid-may but we called quits early that year because of how dry and hot it was and we were kind of getting past the point of safe there so Going up, that was what was in my mind and just kind of knowing the conditions out there. And I can't remember if we had a fire yet in our area like that we went to to kind of back that up. But, yeah, no, I just remember. I remember thinking that on the way up. Just It's a serious year and this is close to their town. So Yeah, I remember you guys came back from Ronnie's land. You were doing some burning there. And, yeah. and uh, even with our big truck and all of you, you came back and you said, it's just too dangerous to burn. It's too dry. I think we burnt that first circle out by Ronnie's and, like, it was instantly, like, double the height of us. And I remember all of us kind of just looking and we went to put it out and like you would hit it and then it would kind of pop back up beside it and hit it and hit it. And all of a sudden we're like half away jacks in from this little circuit we burnt and we're like, yeah, no, we're out. We're not like, hanging on to this. Yeah. yeah. So it's just that much. Yeah. So we're driving up there. It's just the three of us. Right. And and they had told me, you know, just bring the trailer up, drop it off. It's a hot shot. You don't have to bring any guys. And, and I had said like, no, I'm bringing. Right. So at that time you're the leader, Patrick, Ryan, you're the sub leader already by then. And uh, I said, no, I'm bringing like two good guys up with me. And, and uh, if you need us, we're, we're there, right? Told you guys, pack all your gear and, and we'll head up. And uh, yeah, on the way up there, we're listening to the 
I think it was the Dem talking about, you know, you know, things go, go about your life. Like it's out there and we're working on it, but uh, you know, you got to go to school, go to school. If you got to go to work, got to go to work, you know, smart, some smart things too, right? Like fill up your prescriptions, fill up your gas can or your car. And, and, uh, but you know, life is usual until we let you know. Right. And then as we got closer, we started to listen to the forestry radio right so we had all that gear and we're listening to the radio and and i think at one point we were getting pretty close to the city and they called that the fire is beyond resources i think we were, we were in the parking, parking lot, lot when yeah. they did that because that's what me and you kind of went whoa we haven't heard that this earlier in the day ever like we've yeah, heard that yeah. at peak burn and stuff like that but it was about 11 30 i think and we just got there you know maybe half an hour 45 minutes before and i remember we were trying to kind of like wait our turn to go upstairs and talk and tell them that your equipment's here and whatever and we were working with that recruit class that they had to see if we wanted an orientation of the trailer and and we we're like oh well we got forestry radios we'll switch over and yeah like beyond resources at 11:30 in the morning is almost like unheard of right it's just it's not something that you hear ever but, so. and we're still in that phase like yeah, i talk about ego turf time and money all the time and so this was you know egos were flashed up it was still a bit of a turf war between forestry and the city you know time we could tell we're running out they don't think you know they weren't quite there yet and then even like the day before money right like how much to rent your trailer and that's too much and cut the deal and you know of course no one could know at that time what's going to happen but we're really struggling with those four things kind of going on continuously got to get upstairs finally and yeah and uh see the chief and and see uh the ops chief and uh i i remember we came before we went up, we actually went over to the trailer and there's some pretty famous pictures of you two in between the trailer and the truck. You guys remember that? And, and everyone's kind of looking at us like, Oh, look at these guys. Why are they taking pictures? What a stupid, but we weren't actually taking pictures of you guys. We were taking a picture of the column behind you guys. And it was when we first got there straight up, it's kind of light gray. And by the time we're taking pictures with you guys, the columns bent over at about 45 degrees, dark gray to black. Right. And we could like, this thing's going to start to rock. Right. And again, it's one of those deployment things. Who do we see there? Some reporters we know. We run into the training officer, Dave Tovey's there. And, hey, buddy, how's it going, right? He's been helping us out with training and on with Fort Mac. And we get upstairs, and there's another guy that I know. And, you know, so it was kind of like one of those. It still had that feeling of, you know, we're, we're coming home type thing. We go upstairs. We're, we meet with the deputy chief, and he's showing us around. And I'll always remember that. We're sitting there looking out that window at the city. <laughs> That's right? when we knew. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the column's right over flat. It's black. It's it's raging. The wind is picked it's up. Chugging. And uh, I excused myself. I don't know what you guys talked about after that and ran over to that ops meeting and said, okay, that's put us to work. We got to get over there to, to Beacon Hill. And, and so... Talk a little bit, Patrick, about driving down to Station 1 there. So we left there and went down to Station 1. I don't think anything bad had happened at that point, hey? No, I think people it didn't was... even know. There was a steady stream of traffic leaving the city. Yeah, right? I think but... we were pretty pretty A-OK getting to the hall down there. I think it was just the it craziest was... part is, like, it basically we knew that it was so bad and it was just like the craziest part of that drive for me was just like we knew bad things were about yeah. to happen and everyone was just like literally like it said on the radio an hour and a half before didn't we right? go to beacon hill from the first no we went down to station one to get some some people right yeah and i remember trying to find our up trailer. all those guys 
So they they'd taken our trailer. Yes. And yeah, they okay. went down to yeah. station one to get some guys. And then we went down there to try. But it and, wasn't there. It, it was wasn't up, there. Yeah. And then there was all those volunteers from, I think it was Anzac. Anzac and, and no yeah. one would take them. So we're like, grab some Gatorade, grab your gear, get in the back of our truck. We'll take you guys up there. Like, we'll, we'll work with anyone, right? Mm-hmm. So we loaded up six or seven of them. There was the yeah. three of us. And, and on the way back up, I think, I can remember I was filming with my phone some of the traffic and there was people stuck all over the place already because the traffic had increased right as the smoke bailed into the city it got worse later but uh we got back up to beacon and then that's when we were all like we're in hyperdrive right you know evacuate the people get everyone out of here and they still i don't hate to say it but i I would say they still weren't aware that they weren't going to be able to hold it right they were like us in 2011 sitting on 12th street saying hey if we just hook up to all these hydrants (laughs) and spray water we're going to win they're on beacon hill drive hooking up the hydrants thinking they're going to win and we're in hyperdrive so i split up from you guys so so where did you guys go i remember you were still chasing the trailer yeah i remember well i remember all three of us pulled up on the street and you were driving you parked and it was a house street whatever a little bit of lawn and then straight C3 pine all the way. And me and you looked at each other when we got out of the truck because you could see it rocking up over we're the like, hill. And we, we were like, hey. Here. And I remember we said, hey, chief, we should probably park the truck somewhere else. And you're like, oh, no, we'll be fine here. And we're like, uh, just look over there. And then, <laughs> then we took it around the block or whatever. Yeah. And that's when we and you pulled just started up to where knocking. Little, yeah, well, you guys yeah. took off. I, I stayed. We right? pulled up to where yeah. that yeah. tower was. And then, yeah, you stayed. We dropped you off at that hydrant. And there was kind of a tower on the other side. So it was coming up that hill through the all the uh fuel and then there was the road but there was a tower that kind of had like a little outpoaching of trees so it was a big enough area that you weren't going to get completely burnt over and i think yeah we left you there and took the truck and that's when you started driving well we started door knocking i think right because we're like we got to get everyone out of here yeah. and then yeah I, you probably remember better than i would yeah i don't even i think eventually yeah i remember we were going up and down back alleys and we had like a couple piss packs we had this one-ton truck with a skid unit in it. And I don't think we sprayed we much water. We didn't there, really but. use that at that point. But I remember we did start driving because you almost hit that curb and took out that mailbox. Yeah. We Came lost the Gatorade. Yeah. 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 I never know. And, uh, and then we, I guess, went around, and that's where we found that fire truck. We found our trailer yeah. parked about a block down, and Patrick pulled up, and the truck and trailer are, are, are pointing right towards. So as we come around this corner, we're kind of on the last street and there's this one ton Fort Mac truck in our trailer and it's still facing straight towards the fire. And uh, Patrick's like, I'm going to get this guy turned around. You go up there and tell that engine to get out of there. And I, we saw this engine up ahead, but we didn't really know what they were doing. Right. You could see some guys moving around. We didn't know what their plan was, what they were. And, uh, so Patrick starts backing this guy in, one of the recruits from Fort Mac, trying to back you his trailer around have in, a, a, hard time there, in yeah. a driveway, right? And like, obviously stressful situation. And and uh, I went up to this this engine and this, I just remember walking up and I think you say, as I'm walking up, you kind of look down the street and there's flames coming off the tops of the trees on one side and flames coming off the house on the other side. And it looks like they're almost touching in the middle, right? Like we're totally past the point of winning this one. And I think we knew that, but I, I, you know, firefighters don't like to lose. I don't, when I walked up to that engine, there was no way, you know, they thought they were winning. They thought they were going to hunker down there and win. And I got up there and half the house roof of the house was fully involved the captain's sitting in the you know front officer chair and he has his radio in one hand and has the computer in the other hand he's kind of just like looking down the door's half open his gear's sitting there and and uh 
the firefighters are getting right. They have full SCBA on and they're like ready to go to war. They're going to, and I mean, it's the admiral and, and, you know, funny part and the, the craziness of firefighters just never, you know, like at the end of the day, those guys, like they pulled up no matter how scary it looked, they were going to win. They weren't turning around. They weren't right. Like by that time, they, they had were, no idea that they were about to get their <laughs> oh, yeah. ass handed to them. Exactly. Right. Sure. And I mean, it, it's, it's, it's awesome because, you know, you just have that instilled in you and it, but at the same time, it was just like, yeah, it was so far beyond. And I remember them hooking up to a hydrant and I came up and I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, we got to get out of here. And he's like, well, we're hitting the hydrant. Like, what do, what do you know? We're pulling off lines. We're going to fight this house fire. I'm like, all right, but this isn't a house fire, right? Like, this is a, a block fire, a subdivision fire. I don't know what you want to call Never it. Heard the word conflagration. <laughs> right? And uh, whatever, we kind of had a, a moment, kumbaya, back and forth. And and he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And and I remember he jumps out and he's like, all right, guys, like, we got to go. Uh, we're going to break everything down and we're going to get out of here. You know, we're going to back out of here and we're going to, I think we convinced them to go like a block over and we're going to try and, and, and kind of make a strong line like ha- what happened in Slave Lake, right? Trying to put some of those, those experiences to, and uh, I just remember uh, as soon as that happened, all the guys are like, yeah, okay, no worries. And, and they didn't fight, right? Chain of command, follow. And all of a sudden they start undressing the hydrant and they're rolling up their hoses and they're going to repack the transverses and I, I was like, dude, you need to get out of here right now. And they're like, oh, well, our hoses. And I was like, yeah, guess what? By the time this is over, you're going to have burnt hoses hanging off hydrants everywhere because I saw it in 2011 and it's going to be the exact same way. It's just one of those crazy, you know, times that, and and I mean, from there, obviously we we leave and, you know, that's where you find the the people walking down the streets with suitcases and the motorbike. He's trying to load his motorbike yeah, in the back of his truck, right? Just like some crazy that stuff. Was, if there was ever a typical Fort McMurray moment, that was it. Yeah. Lifted one ton pickup with two Sea Doo trailers and a guy, one guy trying to lift his big dirt bike in the back of his truck all by himself. And we're trying to get him out of there as his neighborhood's on fire. And oh, F you guys, I'm, I'm getting my dirt bike out of here. So. We just helped him load it and then <laughs> buggered off. But my worst evacuation one was I ran up to a window and a lady had her baby sitting in the car seat right behind and and I was like, You gotta get out of here, you gotta go now and, and she's like, No, my husband said to wait right here, like I'm not going anywhere till he gets here and and I looked her right in the eye and I said, If you wait here, you and your baby will be dead. That's what he'll find. And she's bawling, and I was like, oh, too hard maybe, but oh well. And uh, she takes off, and she turned on the Beacon Hill Drive there, and I thought, man, that might be like the last time anyone ever sees those guys. It had closed right in on us by then, right? And Still a miracle how a couple of those big events and no one, no one passed away from the fire itself. Right? Yeah. So crazy. Like when you look at some of those basements and, the, you know, the amount of sheer volume of people, I mean, I think as far as evacuations go, I think we've all seen our fair share. And I mean, obviously the two that I'm going to talk about are the, the two bigger ones, but like Slave Lake and Fort McMurray were complete shit shows. There's no other way to put it other than an absolute shit show, right? The, yeah, the sun yeah. fire being up on the grass, running over the four inch high vol on Slave Lake and the bus stuck between the two the, the two divided highways <laughs> in Fort Mac right like people's brains just don't work and they just go into absolute chaos it blew mode. me away was the you know you're thinking it's a shift worker city right like yeah. who who's sleeping at home because they work nights should have been thousands of them sleeping at home but right? luckily everybody raised the alarm and 
somehow, some way, and made it through. But I'll never forget that guy that was blocking us on the way down to Station One the second time. We went <laughs> down. Big, huge guy giving us the finger and saying, you, "You guys are a bunch of losers." And it's like, and there's like probably. 150 firefighters in this, <laughs> this whole, whole city, city trying yeah. to save this whole city and you you think it's a good idea to stop the three of us and tell us we're a bunch of losers yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah. it was on the way down station one the second time another one sticks out in my mind is when we actually left that neighborhood finally i dealt with that psycho to there a few times yeah. and we just decided we should bail out of there <laughs> and uh that little girl, that little uh, yeah. lady, she she shows up on the street and she's about four feet tall and she's pushing a suitcase about three feet tall and, <laughs> and, uh, and we're like like what are you yeah. doing here? Like we've been fighting in the for an hour and a half in that neighborhood. There's 150 houses on fire. Almost no one left. Yeah, right? and she's just like pushing this massive suitcase <laughs> that she could have hid in down the street. So we threw her in our truck and took her up to to station five there and. And uh, we're like, yeah, we don't know where you can go or what you can do, but uh, maybe hang out with this peace officer and, you know, good luck, right? And we went upstairs. So, uh, you know, not to tell a million stories because it's hard, but uh, so we go upstairs and we start talking about critical infrastructure and what we should protect. And my favorite still has to be and will always be that one dude that stood up and was telling everybody that the number one priority for critical infrastructure in the city of Fort McMurray was to save the two bridges across the river. And and the three of us looked at each other and went, like the steel and concrete bridges? Is there a wood bridge we're not aware of? And and he's like, we're going to put fire trucks on both ends and we're going to protect those bridges. Like if we lose those bridges, we can't get to those people. And we're, we're just like, we're totally lost for words, right? And I, I think that's when we just took it on ourselves. We're like, hey, you know what? Pick us. We'll go to the hospital and protect the hospital ourselves. And, uh, and away we went. So getting to the hospital there has to be some good stories you guys remember from that I, I think it was just the craziest part was like there's two lanes in two lanes out of fort mac and there was like six lanes out and a ditch to get in and that was pretty much <laughs> yeah. it right like you're riding the shoulder and like that's when i had my hand up with my phone remember and it burnt my hand through hand. the window yeah exactly right like that was just crazy to see like they made two lanes into three and then they doubled it both ways going south and then there's like these poor fire trucks and, you know, people trying to go back it and get their families. Like, on the way into Fort Mac, all like the thousands of guys that came up to help afterwards or, you know, even the first few hundred yeah. and the first dozens of fire trucks that had to battle that traffic for the two hour stretch of highway, right? Like, yeah. Because there's nowhere else to go. They're going to be heading south down there and maybe they all finally merged into the right lane or something, but that would have been. Well, I think chaos. what there's like 90,000 people in Fort Mac at the time, wasn't there? Like it's yeah, a big it city, right? Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. it's. And I mean, when it hit the city, they were still, you know, just like Slave Lake and nobody's fault, right? The weather changed and it blew into town and, and, uh, but everyone was still thinking we're just on evacuation notice, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, get out. And then there was no real, you know, even when we got to the hospital, I'll never forget going downstairs to that big meeting room and everybody stops and it's kind of like, who's this guy? And I was like, yeah, who's the boss around here? And the phone on the table says, I am. Oh, all right, phone on the table is the boss, right? right? Yeah, it's Daryl. Yeah. And uh, he didn't know at the time. I didn't know at the time. And I was like, I need all the maintenance guys, and I need to talk to the boss, right? And they're like, should we evacuate? And I said, well, we just came from Beacon Hill, and it's burnt to the ground, and it's crossing over. And when, we come, water when we come down the hill, the, the sign that says, welcome to Fort McMurray was on fire. So your call, what you want to do, I'm not going to tell you. But, you know, you got to do your thing. And so we took all the maintenance guys. And then Barry, remember Barry from PCL showed up there? Yeah, yeah that was right. <laughs> uh, he built a, built our fire hall, I think, the year before or something, so we knew him pretty good. And he said, hey, Jamie, what's going on? I said, 
Barry, what are you doing here, buddy? Just weird. Yeah. Yeah. He was just like building the hospital. So we had to, there was the three of us and Barry. So we had, had a team of four. We picked up those five maintenance guys and then the zombie killer there, the security guard. Yeah. So we're like a team of 11 there or whatever. And, uh, you know, we set up all the sprinklers and we're up on the roof watching Abasan go up. And uh, it's like fireworks are going off, propane tanks are blowing, and and we're like, holy crap, what's what's going to happen here? And then our team grew to twelve. So Ryan, you remember who showed up? Yeah, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, the old ex cousin in law. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a captain in Fort Mac, I think, at the time. He right? was, yeah, yeah that's for and sure. uh, came up and. I barely even knew who he was. Honestly, I probably hadn't seen him since the family reunion when we were just kids. And I remember kind of being like, oh, hey. And he obviously knew me. And and he was like uh, on foot attack there. Yeah, he, he, was, he, he showed up from station one. Yeah, right? Shows up. <laughs> and uh, I think he probably just saw the hoses spraying everywhere at the hospital, right? Because we had the fire hoses from the, like the built-in suppression system basically just wetting down everything. And and. uh yeah, I definitely remember that. And then I remember you coming up and you're like, oh my God, like what is, how did this happen, yeah, right? How are you the boss yeah, of us out of right? all the people that could be yeah. in the world, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then I guess from there, that's when the the cul-de-sac down the road started up. And yeah, Crescent Heights. So that was a beauty. You're you're like the head man on that attack truck, Patrick. Why don't you lead oh, us through I that? I was just the driver, man. <laughs> you guys' relative there was the boss and random weirdness, like just took the one-ton truck in there and... Oh look! Here's a house on fire. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever in my career again see such a variety of PPE and shit show craziness going on. Like there was, me and Patrick were trying to fight the the biggest house that was on fire. I had a five eighths garden hose, and he was driving the one ton dually. That was before the house was really ripping. Yeah, I was like trying to fight the fence, right? Yeah. And like, I mean, I have a ball cap on and a t-shirt and I'm trying not to burn myself and Patrick's in the front yard in full bunker gear, but he didn't come back there. And, and then we pull out and we're like, Hey, well, there's no point in burning ourselves over a fence. And like, yeah, we're probably gonna lose this house. And then we went over to the other side where that boat was and that house was under construction. And then we kind of got fixated on that for a little bit. And there was a water truck. And then all of a sudden, like you look back behind you and there's like dudes in coveralls with full SCBA dudes in coveralls with a bunker jacket and a respirator guys with bunker gear and scba on and then there was a rit team outside stage and then there at one point that house was fully involved and they grabbed their fire grenade and they're opening the door and throwing the fire grenade inside and it was outside that was on fire and like just the i look at it as like one of those you know those picture books when you're a kid and there was like the big massive picture and you had to look for all the crazy little weird things that were happening in the picture that's what that picture was for me if i turned around like spot all the randomness of different firefighting techniques that were there right and it was just people were using what they had right it wasn't anyone's fault it wasn't any yeah. but it was just a total gong show. I remember me and you stringing together like all the neighborhood's garden hoses so i could go stop a little grass fire that was going to take out a couple hoses there. it's just like fuck i don't need much but this is the worst pressure i've ever had 500 feet of five eighths garden hose uh, pinched together all different places colors. And- or in the backyard i had that video for forever holding up and i had the 
the five eighths gated Y. There was no nozzles. So yeah. We finally found. <laughs> so we had half the gated Y turned on enough that we had a little bit of a stream. And I'm writing down the boat and I'm holding my phone in front so I can video to yeah, no one's keep gonna believe the radiation shit, from my or the radiant heat from hitting my face. Like it's just crazy. Well, and so many crazy ideas. Like I remember the idea where they said, okay, gather up all the fuel cans and all the propane tanks from the whole neighborhood and we'll put them in this cul-de-sac, like this park in the middle of the cul-de-sac. And it was probably a beauty idea someone had until they had like a mountain 10 feet tall by 10 feet wide of propane tanks and jerry cans sitting in the middle of this fireball that we're working on. And it was like, uh, I don't know if that was a good idea. I think that was right after that propane tank went off in that barbecue. Yeah, because right? when we that showed up, the, it was venting. It was venting, and I think that really uh, freaked a lot and of people I remember people you out. said, you remember where that sounds from? And I'm like, oh, fuck. That. <laughs> <laughs> from our training so, sessions. Well, not, I think even that was after, but from the slave fire. There. Yeah, slave fire. And well, so so many. I mean, and for us, it's weird because we're used to it, right? It, it's You're like that guy on Black Hawk Down that's just walking around while the bullets zing, and you just don't even notice, right? Like propane tanks, gas whatever and uh, they're all ducking and weaving because they haven't been through it we've been through it so you're just walking around right i lagged behind uh, i stayed at the hospital until the last people left and you guys had taken off with patrick and i remember our crew kind of went from 12 down to you know nine down to seven down to then barry was gone and that's six and all of a sudden at the very end it's just me and the zombie killer there and he jumps in his zombie killer jeep and and he writes down his phone number on my hand and says, uh, if you could give me a call tomorrow, let me know if the hospital burns down so I know if I have to come back or not. <laughs> and hands me the keys to the hospital and says, good luck, man. This is a seven-story hospital. I was going to say, like, it's a big hospital, right? <laughs> it's, it's a, a city. Of, city. Yeah. And yeah. he just hands me the keys and says, good luck. <laughs> and then the CAO guy and, and his assistant leave. And they're like, okay, everybody's out. See you guys. And it's like all right, now I get this big empty hospital. Sprinklers are going everywhere. I was like, I should go find those dudes and see what they're up to. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think I got to ride over there with the Albion Sands guys. Remember they had a pickup? Oh, those yeah, two dudes. Yeah. yeah. Some sprinkler yeah. stuff. And and so we head over there to the smoke and, and get you guys. So that, that was a bit of an epic firefight. We went and tried to find that address, right? And so it's in a city of named streets that we're not familiar with. So... It's like, get, go to Bear Street, and there's a resident who says his fence is on fire. Oh, yeah. We're in the A's, and then we're in the Z's, and then we're in the, like, come on, man. Finally, we found the B's, and then we kind of tracked down that guy, and he's in the backyard putting out a, like where the four fences meet yeah. with his garden hose, and we're like, oh, don't worry, we'll help you, and we back our truck in there with our 160 gallons and our 5.8s, and we pull off our 5.8s, and he's like, well, I already have a garden hose. Like, if that's all you guys got, you're yeah. not much help to yeah, you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just use your whoop drunk truck, sorry. <laughs> so I think we just took our hose off and hooked it on to his yeah, for his some extra, so extra length. length. Yeah. Like, sorry, dude. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, it was pretty epic, though. We went back, and I don't think it would be a Fort McMurray uh, story if we didn't tell about your wife giving you a call about the credit card. Oh, I think she just gave me grief when I got back. Yeah, the random know. charges. Well, it just was our luck that they had a bake sale on in the front of the hospital that night or whatever. So we we left money, though. That was a... I felt yeah. And the vending that. machine. That was like one of the first vending machines I ever saw that took Visa. Only. No yeah. cash. Just Visa. <laughs> okay. You must be in Fort Mac. <laughs> and I remember that night I had a chocolate milk, cheesies, uh, high guard high sub. High guard sub. Yeah. I think that was about it. Yeah. But uh, it was all I could pack in my hands because I was going to the roof <laughs> to check. And it was stairs only. And, and it, was, it was good. 
like it i remember it being like i love this i absolutely this is like the best oh, meal ever yeah. just because First it was time we yeah ate since yeah there's exactly. firefighters though not thinking ahead right like the kitchen probably had like the biggest meals you could ever have for a seven-story hospital and we don't think to go to the cafeteria yeah, yeah we get the big cell for the brownies the <laughs> yeah. vending machine probably had cheeses. a whole supper ready for that yeah. night right we put our yeah. five bucks yeah. and our little bit of change and our buttons out of our pockets on the on the bake sale table as if anyone cared to, they were i think that was money, that's right? one of my favorite too we take all from the bake sale and we're like wow we don't really know how much but this is how much money we have there's and then there's you a fed the brownies to the, cop the cops too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well if you're gonna steal some stuff from a bake sale you gotta share with some accomplices there. yeah <laughs> that was funny yeah so, I mean, we definitely, we fought through the night, right? We had Big Chad there hooked up with us and led us around there. That guy was a beauty. That's when we finally got help. Yeah. You know, yeah. in every deployment, you find those people that are just amazing, right? Yeah. And, and help you out. Yeah. So after a few days, uh, I wouldn't say things calmed down, but we had to go home. So we went home, went home that night, got home late. Of course, like true firefighters, we're at work in the morning, ready to go again. And I think we went on hell attack the next day, right? We were on truck attack with 141. Yeah, we were. On yeah, because we didn't really get to commit to that fire totally. We were kind of support well, until roles until we, yeah. we did. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so then the motel right by the Boston yeah. Pizza catches on fire and, and uh, we all roll in there and... And, uh, well, I know you were there right away because you were the guy that parked the truck. Where I was going to say, right I down. think, you know, <laughs> was nice now being in 2020, after the last thing that happened with 161, I think me and that truck have something. This is like it's my big third hurrah with it. You should stop going. In yeah, I know, right? And uh, they even quit letting me drive, and I still somehow still find a way to. It's your problem still. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember being super excited because I was definitely the first big fire we had with that truck, and the wind was going one way, and I parked it, and. Lo and behold, 20 minutes later, you couldn't even see the truck because the smoke was right just engulfing it. There's DC yeah. Kearney up on the roof in full in SCBA full trying SCBA, to run yeah. the uh, the water cannon. Yeah. And, and uh, the mayor of the town up in his flip-flops and shorts on the other truck running the water cannon for us. And everyone was hee-hawing. You were over at the car wash up on the roof there, I think. Trying a spot in Johan. He was running the ladder's monitor, but he couldn't see where it was going. So I just meet him on the radio, just left, right. Uh, no other left, but then, yeah. And then finally I got pissed off and just called for a traco and they came and we knocked the whole thing down and put a bunch of water on it. And I think it was like an hour and 45 minutes from start to finish. We had this whole motel. That was cool too. Cause when we first got there, they tried to go offensive on it. And I think it was Thomas and Pickering forced the door into a yeah. room and pulled the ceiling. But anyways, there was a couple of crews that went in and tried to get it in the roof before it burned right to the ground, but they left a pike pole in there. And we had no idea they did, but anyway, chaos ensued and everybody went defensive on it. And Bell Reeve knocked, started knocking it down and he tore through the room where they left the pike pole. And he went in with his thumb bucket hole and grabbed that pike Picked pole. Picked up the pike hole. Right out of the room. And then turned and set it down next to the guys running a master stream. All by itself. And then he kept digging, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we got our pike pole back. But. I mean, that guy definitely bailed us out on more fires than oh, I yeah. did, right? He knows how to run a hole, that's yeah. for sure. He's definitely the gentle giant on that thing. Yeah. So we get through that, and I can remember when we were all done, we're doing the big debrief, and everyone's like, yeah, that went pretty good, right? And we're going through all the things, and and then it dawned on me that we just knocked this huge two-story motel to the ground with a hoe and kind of stacked it up. Like, town. Too, too far, maybe? Like, yeah. You know, it turned out it was the right thing, and we got it done, but you always wonder. We were literally knocking that one down as the boys were in Fort Mac convincing others to knock those ones down. Those ones down. That's right, yeah. too. Yeah. Literally, yeah. right when we were gone, that's when they started knocking houses down. The heavy equipment guys, right? Yeah. So I think uh, we stayed home for a couple of days. You guys helped out with forestry and then headed back up there. 
with a new mission to try and organize everybody. And, you know, that's a shit show for another day for sure. But uh, you guys also got to go back up later on to go with um, the private industry. So Neralta called you up. A school friend of mine, Lance, there got a hold of us and, and Curtis Wright and said, hey, you know, nobody's helping us. Could you guys come up to these massive camps? And so that was pretty cool. You got Logan, I know, brand new out of school, kind of took Ryan's spot in the in the crew and, and started to move up the ranks. And he, that was his first big thing. So kind of talk a little bit about protecting the camps up there. Well, it was definitely different. I mean, they weren't just any few camp shacks scattered around the ground there. We're talking what three stories high and how many units i don't know there were massive units like a couple hundred yards long and then about six different wings of that as well so there was like three thousand people yeah no water on site so we had to resort to that's when we you know dawned on us that the 400 barrel tank was the answer there and then trying to adapt fittings into them and stuff like that it was actually we learned a ton on that deployment and uh we didn't actually have any fire impinge on the camp on that one, but we did learn lots about uh, our sprinkler setups and how to adapt them and optimize them and make them work for what we had to do. And we were testing out new pieces of equipment that on that trip that we learned, you know, where not to use them and where they were useful. And that was a big learning one, I think, for everybody. But uh, we laid just about every piece of gear we had on the ground there too. So it was uh, private industry so different. Eh? I remember that. You know, them getting a hold of us saying, well, like, if we just bought this whole truck and trailer and all your gear, like, how much would that cost? Yeah, I remember Lance when we got there. We said, oh, God, you guys could come, whatever, shook our hands and kind of showed us around a little bit. And he's like, yeah, so I don't really know how this works. If you guys just send me a bill at the end or if I just put you on the bus and send you home and keep your truck and trailer and send you a bill for buying that off you. And I think we were like, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Let's get some new shit, right? We don't have to clean this all up. I remember you called me and I was like, well, I'll tell Lance at least not to be cheap and fly you guys home. Right? <laughs> He's got a plane, right? And uh, yeah, but, you know, working for private industry is just different, a different way of looking at it. And It was really cool, though. Like just we had had our definitely our fingers in some some pretty cool setups for structure protection so far with sprinklers and stuff and that was just like a whole new beast right it was just very very unique any yeah. piece of equipment you needed yeah. they would get it for you here's the keys to everything we have in the yard do you know how to drive it yes yeah <laughs> sure do i will uh, turn it you know, on we, we had so many successes up in fort mcmurray there was lots of stuff that didn't work out but we won't harp on that is you know the successes were good um but i think fort mcmurray was the one i always say to people slave lake's the one that brought us all together and fort mcmurray's the one that kind of split us apart as far as agencies and groups and and it was never the same again after that right i don't know if it was just so big and so epic that uh, you, you can't survive that or if everyone just kind of got sick of lessons observed and not learned or what but uh it kind of changed and so you know over those next few years it was still busy and we got things done but it kind of brings me to that kind of wrap-up piece when the band breaks up right and so you know we're this uh this rock star band and we're doing good things and you get to that point where it's like hey life has to go on right we had a good run five six seven years but the band breaks up right patrick you move on and uh, get a job as a career firefighter and then i decide to move on and start to my life as a consultant and and uh you know we kind of it's a bit bad because you leave some guys behind right ryan and logan decide to stay and, and keep things going and and uh alex the you knows the chief now and 
But uh, we still get together, right? Today we spent all day uh, working together on different courses we're still working on and different themes and, and things we're starting to figure out. And so, you know, for me, I always look back at it and say, you know, the band broke up. It wasn't for a bad reason. We didn't get in a big fight. We didn't, uh, you know, no one got a, another offer to go do something, you know, better. We just all went in different directions kind of at the same time. So, what you know, how was that for you? What was the transition like? Oh, it was different. I mean... It's so hard to put it into words, I guess, but I don't know, man, it's tore a piece of guy's heart out too. I mean, I think for those will forever be for me, the good old days of, you know, anyone can think in their own life, right? Oh yeah. I remember back in those days and you, you know, think positively of them and how kind of cool it was and all the good things you got to learn. And it also leapfrogged you into the next step and the next thing you're doing. But I mean, I'm pretty, I really appreciate still being able to get back together with everybody and still get to work on some cool common ground things. And that's important to me moving forward too, because I'm still passionate about that stuff. So I want to see the good work continue. And, you know, as long as, as long as we can work on that and still get to have a few beers with the boys in the meantime, shit, I'm a happy man. So. Right. And it's still friends with so many of those people that came through the, the crew, right? They're doing different things now and they're all over the place. Ryan, you know, we, we kind of left you behind. You're the guy that got, uh, you and Logan, eh? You got left behind here. What uh, what was it like? Everybody else moves on. I think, honestly, I haven't really sat down and thought about it that much ever, to be honest. But uh, oh, wow, just uh, it, it just crazy, you know? Like, we we were all kind of thinking of going different places. And I, I remember putting my name in for Edmonton that year. And I was like, oh, I'll throw my name in and see what happens. And you know, Shirley was only here for a year and a half, two years. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. Right. And he threw his name in and Patrick kind of knew he wanted to go to Kelowna and we know we were going through that process. And, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, everyone's kind of, we're just chilling and everyone still came to work every day. And, you know, we weren't really thinking of it. And then things started to get more real and you're like, oh, they're going for physicals. And then, oh, they passed the aptitude test. Oh, they're going for interviews. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, uh, Patrick didn't know when exactly he might start. And Adam's like, oh, you know, like usually class starts in March and all of a sudden people are, and then Adam was like the last guy on the list that he wasn't sure he's right on the bubble of getting in. And we're like, is he going, is he not going? And, and then, yeah, it was just like all of a sudden one day, you know, one guy's gone and, and then it was like, what, two, three weeks later, it seemed like, and, and, and Patrick was gone and, you know that uh, I I love the crew we have now. We have very good crew cohesion. When we hired Patrick, got to be a part of that, and we went after guys that we thought were gonna work really well together. And I, I think we have a really good crew right now. But you know, I think back, and maybe it is like you said, just the the good old days you think back on. But I, I don't think I can ever say that I'll ever be a crew that we were for those two years when we hired Adam and Adam and Logan. It was, you know. Just uh, it seemed like a really, really good fit. And obviously it was a really good fit because I think we're still all four of us really close to this day, you know, two years later. And uh, obviously that says something, right, to, to still be that close. And obviously two of us still work here and are changing with this place every day as it continues through. And, you know, there's two that are moving on to bigger and better things. But I think it's awesome that, you know, the band might have broke up, but we can still get together every once in a while for the encore tour. And, oh, yeah, the and reunion tour. Yeah. It's always happening, right? <laughs> yeah, for exactly. sure. I just know it, eh? Somewhere something bad's going to happen and we're all going to be on the field of battle <laughs> together again, eh? Yeah, and we'll yeah. just be like, we'll yeah. be crushing it and thinking back, hey, this is... You know, we'll all be a little older and a little slower <laughs> and I'll be a little fatter. But at the end of the day, it'll still be like we're out there crushing it, right? Like having a good time. You know, for me, 
it's so hard to put into words what it was like working with you guys all the time. I think, you know, your youth, your enthusiasm, your hard work, you know, it always just kept driving. I know you guys hated that I never ran out of jobs. Although you fell for the fact that I would always say, we're almost at the top of the hill, boys. We're almost at the top (laughs) of the hill. This is the biggest hill ever. (laughs) Look at Everest. We passed that like 3,000 feet ago. But, uh, you know, for me, I will always in my life think back to those days and how hard you guys worked. And, and, uh, like, it's a real honor for me to, to have you here and be talking about this stuff again and, and, uh, just be in the same room, right. Sharing a beer and talking about uh, some of the crazy stuff we went through. And I don't think anyone could fully, we could never talk long enough for anyone to fully understand some of the stuff we did and the bonds you make and, and the craziness of it all. But, uh, I look forward to continue working together with you guys. I, you know, I always hope somehow we'll, we'll all end up somewhere together so if there's a fire department out there looking for seven or eight good people <laughs> uh, let us know maybe we'll all hook up with you and, and get out there somewhere but uh in the meantime we we work a weekend here and a week, weekend there and and uh, get together and wait for the next deployment so thanks for being here appreciate it yeah, yeah no thanks for having us it's awesome thanks for listening to growing up fire today Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.